You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It's 8 o'clock. It's Rosie on the House, Saturday morning, second Saturday of the month. So if you're a regular listener, you're following along in your complimentary Rosie on the House home maintenance calendar. You're staring there at February 8th, and you can see we're going to be talking about fertilizing queen palms, but we have a tree of the month as well. <laughs> yes, we do. Going to tell Rose. us about it, we've got ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower in studio with a guest. And if you'd like to talk trees, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, or you can send a picture to info at rosieonthehouse.com if you need a little help describing, uh, you know, your project, or you need a little help with plant insect identification. I'm sorry. Was interrupting you, jumping right in. I'm so anxious to let your go. Lis- listeners I'm done know talking. this morning. You know, you know. I got the preamble done. It's yours, preacher. I, I, go I think for it's it. Important. <laughs> I, th- I think it's important that your listeners know that we are looking out one, two, three. We are looking out a bank of huge, tall windows um, out on trees, and not only trees, but the ones that are right in the foreground here are Arizona state tree. Our, our Parkinsonia floridum, which is our, our blue Palo Verde, and a bunch of trees in the background as well. We're not in the in the bottom of a, a dark, damp basement, you know, studio. This is a beautiful studio facility here at KTAR, and it's just I just thought your listeners should know that every morning that we come in here on Saturday, you say good morning. It's eight o'clock on Saturday morning, and we get the privilege of looking out at our Arizona State tree. And uh, a, a beautiful setting here for this show this morning. And yes, we do. We have a tree of the month, and I have a guest of the month, which I'm ho- really in, uh, just delighted to introduce uh, Rebecca Sr. Rebecca is a friend of mine, a, a colleague in our industry I've known for decades, and she is a, I would say, a, I described her to Rosie this morning as a gift to Arizona, and especially to the horticultural community. She is amazing. I met her when she was uh, head of the Desert Landscaper School at the Desert Botanical Garden for eight years, and uh, she's been uh, uh, just involved in our community, on the Arizona Community Tree Council, and, and, and of course, now she's working as uh, for the Extension agent, Agency with the uh, uh, University of Arizona Maricopa County Extension Office, and working closely with the Master Gardener Program. Again, has her hands deep in, th- in all things green. And Rebecca, it's nice to have you here today. Thank you so much, John. I am thrilled to be here, uh, thrilled to talk trees with you anytime. Um, well, the, the reason I'm so happy to have you here, one of the main reasons is because the tree of the month is one that you suggested that I add to my list of favorite trees. What happened about six or eight months ago is I was putting together the list of trees of the month for 2020. And I began to, I was scratching my head for kind of some new ideas. And I had this brainstorm that I would put out a request to all my green industry friends and say, hey, send me your three favorite trees, because I'd like to be introduced to some new, uh, some new, new ideas with regard to that. Little did I know that I would get buried with some amazing trees. So the lineup of trees for 2020 is really, really cool. And uh, this one we're going to focus on today is, is the Vitex trifolia, which is different than the Vitex agnus castus, which we've mentioned before, which is the chaste tree, with the beautiful purple blooms. This is a little bit different. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? This was one that Rebecca offered. This is one of three that she sent in. <laughs> yeah, I would love to talk about this plant. 
Um, I planted one that I bought at the um, Desert Botanical Gardens plant sale uh, at my mom's house many years ago, and it was new to me, and I thought, look at these lovely, velvety, soft leaves, and they had a, a purple under color, and that was very unique. And um, so put it in, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and showed itself to be so drought-tolerant and had a, a nice, uh, like a bloom stalk that would come out. And um, so I really started to fall in love with it that, at that time. And um, since then, you know, um, I've learned more about it. It is native to Australia. Um, and uh, it can be a, a cut pruned up into a small tree. And that's something that I'm looking for always for our clients that are living in these smaller um, you know, townhomes or, or condominiums, something that they can have. And then this plant doesn't have any thorns, John, which right. is important right. when you have a little patio home. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you don't well, want... we talked about the oleanders, you know, d- uh, dying around town due to the uh, oleander leaf scorch and looking for suitable replacement uh, plants. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the hop bush in, in recent mm-hmm. weeks, and that's a, another great alternative to the oleander. But this sounds like it would be a, a, a suitable plant for that uh, application, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, at uh, 10 to 15 foot height, right. you can block a uh, neighbor's yard, a Winnebago or whatever you need to do. And, and it's just uh, <laughs> can be grown down to the ground. And so what's, what's the street name? What's the street name for this plant? Well, uh, Arabian lilac is one of okay. them, one of the common names. Okay. Uh, although it grows there. Um, a really interesting fact about it is that in uh, the California nursery trade, prior to 2002, um, it wasn't really used. So here's a plant that's been around for, you know, ever, and it just comes to our attention and, and also in California. So we always can look for surprises and new plant material to use that serves us well. Yeah, so the Arabian lilac vitex trifolia, one of those, you know, can it's a large shrub or a small tree. Uh, rather slow growing, but it's beautiful, and it's got that green leaf, but a purple underside to the leaves and a little bit of purplish bloom, uh, something you might want to l- look it up and, and uh, maybe inquire about it at your local nurseries um, for that Vitex trifolia. The, uh, yes, we've got a lot of other topics to cover today, and I'm so glad to have a, a sidekick here who I can just lean on. She's a wealth of knowledge. Um, but we want to talk a little bit about cutting back frost damage this time of year. The uh, um, and we got a, a nice little cold snap here. Yeah, <laughs> we did. We had a, we've uh, you know we were wondering if we kind of had had gotten out of the the cold and and then we dropped down into those that freezing temperature. It looks like the ten day forecast is going to be really mild straight through the next uh, you know right through the the average last day of frost, which is uh, about February fifteenth, right around uh, Valentine's Day is kind of the, the, the cutoff time for uh, uh, when you can start to, uh, to cut back some of your shrubs. We always say that when you get close to that 15th of February date, which is sort of the time that you can start to cut back your frost-damaged plants and all, l- look at the 10-day forecast. Make sure that there's not a cold snap that's um, coming, uh, coming up. Um, and then if, we have, if, you're, if you're clear and those low temperatures are in the 40s still or higher, um, you can go ahead and start to make those, uh, make those pruning cuts. Uh, but yes, uh, this is our, our prime time for not only cutting back our frost damage, but uh, it's beginning to do a little bit of pruning on some of your trees. Um, you, you'll uh, you know find that this is a, this is your 
a little nicer weather to get out there with your pruning shears. But yeah, just watch that that weather. I guess we got some rain coming up too in the next few days too. I guess there's a couple more rain days uh, in store for us, which is awesome. I'm I'm getting some pre-emergent just in case because <laughs> if it starts pouring, I'm starting to spread. <laughs> yeah, a lot of pre-emergents going down right now all over town to try to get ahead of the, the those weeds that are just going to be. You know, it seems like I walk out in my backyard, and if I'm not out there every every week, I walk out there, and oh my gosh, I got weeds that are that are knee high. And that's, uh, that becomes problematic because, of course, they go to seed. You wait for those weeds to go to seed, and then you start trying to even, even removing, removing them at that point manually. Um, you're going to be knocking the seeds all down for next year. So you're going to have another harvest of seeds the following season. So yeah, the pre-emergent is good. We, we, um, we prefer not to use a pre-emergent you know, at, our, in our, at our house. We just deal with it and, and, and do our own mechanical removal of our weeds. So of course, you know whether you're doing pre-emergent or whether you're trimming them out yourself, it's a lot. E- it's a lot better to get them while they're small rather than waiting until they're big and they've gone to seed. And then no matter how careful you are in pulling those weeds out, you're going to be scattering those seeds for next year. So yeah, get out ahead of them. Another a reminder: if you are uh, deep in weeds, is consider burying them in about four to six inches of wood chips. If you've got a, a, a yard that would allow wood chips, you know. You can cut the weeds down if I mean they're knee knee high. Of course, you got to cut them down. But I love to just cover those smaller weeds with wood chips. What does that do? It kills the the weeds because it it blocks the sunlight to the weeds, and so they're not going to grow up. But what's beautiful is that when the weeds get into wood chips, you know how easy they are to pull out. (laughs) You know, it's so hard to pull weeds out of out of our 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 tight clay soils, especially when the soil is dry. Mm-hmm. But to, when you have weeds that, that pop up in wood chips, it's so easy. Just go and grab them and pull them out with a, a simple pull of your hand, and they'll, they'll pull out easy. So that's what we like to do. We cover a good part of our backyard in wood chips. It's about six inches deep in wood chips. Everywhere the weeds can grow, I put wood chips down. You know, and so, over the course of years, it breaks down. It just makes the soil better for Sure, and then I'll bring in growth. another load of wood chips in a couple of years, and we'll spread a few more. Now, I'd imagine an arborist S- that says that the never, guy never has who, a shortage of wood chips. Who has an endless supply of wood chips. <laughs> well, you all have an endless supply of wood chips, too. You just give us a call. We get, we drop them off for free. How many how many chippers I, do you have on we, the road any one day? We, we vote for wood all the wood chips supplies throughout the world to, to – end up in your yard rather than in the landfill, you know, and it wouldn't it be nice if we could cover this earth with wood chips. And that's the way, you know, God's designed us to have skin, fish to have scales, birds to have feathers, and he designed the earth to have uh, a, a layer of litter, leaf litter, that, that helps to protect the earth's surface. And if we are covering it with just, we're, we're, we end up raking up our leaves, blowing them into piles, and then bagging them up and putting them in the trash, it doesn't make any sense. I know it's, it means for a, a less manicured yard. That's the problem with a lot of our homeowner associations aren't going to let you put wood chips in the front yard. I understand that, and that's a, that's, that's a shame because we end up having to put pre-emergent over our decomposed granite in order to control the weeds because we don't have that nice protective layer of, of leaf mulch underneath all of our trees. And But if you have the opportunity to do that in any parts of your yard, I certainly recommend it. It's uh, it's healthy for the trees and sure a lot less work to pull those weeds. Well, if you're driving right now anywhere in Arizona below the rim, coming home from Tonto Basin last night, driving down to Florence, uh, running up to Black Canyon City, the entire desert is when the 
deserts covered in a green carpet. Oh, my gosh. You just know you're going to have a weed problem at your house. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming, baby. It's coming. Yeah. Hey, we are talking trees, but we're going to stay on this wood chip topic for a minute because texts are coming in, emails are coming in. You guys were talking all <laughs> off air about it. Uh, seems like there's, it's uh, endless, endless benefits to having uh, wood chips down. Now, uh, the same question that's come in Texas, same thing Rosie asked is, does that bring insects, scorpions, spiders? Crickets. No, crickets. it's, it's not, not, not a significant um, a rise in, in insect populations to where you can have an infestation in your yard. No, no. It's going to be, if you're going to have a few extra crickets, then you'll have birds in your yard that are eating the crickets. You'll love the extra wildlife. No, it's not. There's, we've never seen any kind of, you know, rise in, in additional uh, insect activity just because we put wood chips down. It, the, the benefits so far outweigh any, any downside in terms of dust control, weed control, nitrogen cycling, improvement of the micro, you know, biology of the soil. You know, you're getting your, that, that, that little zone between your wood chips and, and your native soil is going to be just rich with, with microbial activity and positive microbial activity. It's going to help your plants to grow better. Uh, the depth of the, the mulch is important. I said four to six inches because you don't want to be burying your, um, the, the soil, the native soil, in such a heavy layer of a 12 or 18 inch layer of, of mulch would be too much because it'll cap the oxygen to the soil. There needs to be oxygen, uh, a gas exchange at the soil surface mm -hmm. itself. So four to six inches is, is of, of, a, of a heavy wood mulch, uh, wood chips are, 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 are broken up and they're chunky enough, as mm -hmm. Rebecca was saying, that it allows oxygen exchange to take place. In and around the trees, you don't want to put the the uh, too much mulch. We recommend just an inch or two if you're going to be up against the trunks of trees because you don't want to wick uh, those chips to wick the moisture up against the trunk of the trees, which can set up conditions for fungal pathogens to become active and start to kill the tree. So uh, those are the kind of the guidelines we use for if it's just in an open yard area where you're uh, controlling dust or, or mud. Oh, but in the summer, too, it, it keeps the mud down because there's some absorption capacity, too. So if you have those muddy areas in your yard, uh, wood chips are great in the summer because they're kind of going to keep that from becoming a, um, a, a big muddy basin uh, that you have to track over. And having those wood chips under your feet rather than mud clinging to your boots is sure a pleasure. And like you said, uh, you guys would rather distribute the chips to cover the surface then have them end up in a landfill and you have to pay to put them in the landfill so if you've got customers that you can drop it off to on your route mm -hmm. there's actually um have you do you ever use the the website tree stuff for your tree gear yeah yeah, yeah. so they put together a website called get trip get chip drop.com yeah. You go in, you create your profile, and you put in your address, and then you just go on this indefinite waiting list until an arborist is in your area with a load of chips leaving a job site, and they just come by and drop it for you. Yes, yeah, and the arborists are part of the program, too, and they, they sign on, and so when they have a load of chips, they get on their a phone app and find a homeowner See that if also not is wanting to... those chips, and, and you can get hooked up. Yeah, so Chip Drop, I think it's called. Um, yeah, it's a great service. Getchipdrop.com. Yes, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great service, and it's gonna it's gonna make a big difference. I think it's a 
as we were saying, just going to get more chips out of the landfill and, and uh, into yards where they can do their best good. And and uh, who's Dr. Downer? Is it in California with the uh, University of uh, there, the uh, University of California mm-hmm. Davis has done a, bu- a bunch of research about the finished compost. When you have those bags of, of compost uh, that you buy at the um, at the hardware store, um, that's finished compost. It's done. It's already <laughs> cooked. It's already cooked. No, and, and there are there's very little nutrient value in it. When it be, but when you put wood chips down, as they decompose, they're providing so actually some Fuel. nutrient nutrient benefit back into the soil. And Dr. Downer said that the the research is all pointing to the fact that putting live green wood chips back onto the soil surface is the best thing you can do for your plants in terms of of, of a mulch. Interesting. And, yeah. And chip drop, can I order the kind of chips I want? I don't think so. I'd like all cedar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you, you'll have You to live in the wrong part of the country for that. <laughs> yeah. So I think of uh, mulch, which is on the surface as a blanket for the earth, that, as John said, has so many benefits. And a big one is that it does keep the moisture from leaving rapidly, so it keeps a, a, a nice, cool environment. And that's what microbes need. And it's the microbes and the interaction with the tree roots that has happened over the millennia that keeps trees healthy. And the landfills don't need that layer of organic material to compost down? (laughs) They've got all sorts of inorganic materials. (laughs) They don't need all the the green waste. But, yeah, this this is true, especially in Arizona, you know, Rebecca, with uh, our our high, high temperatures, you know, being able to keep that moisture in the soil a little bit longer with a nice... Um, layer of mulch to hold it there is is awesome, you know, because water goes in and it doesn't get out quite as fast through evapotranspiration off the off the soil surface. So, again, lots of benefits from mulching your yards. And we'll continue on our <clears throat> February trees to do here at Roseanne House after bottom of the hour news break. You mentioned cutting back frost damage. We never got to that. Uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, fertilizing citrus, and then the difference between pruning versus trimming, all here at Rosie on the House. And if you'd like to join the conversation and talk trees, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. I haven't dialed it yet this morning. We, we have gotten calls, but, you know, should I give the local number to? 602-277-5827. Continuing our Talking Trees segment here at Rosie on the House. Callers are lining up. Uh, before we get to them, we had a couple uh, couple things on our February to-dos. To- we, this, we would be remiss if we did not say that this is prime time for pruning certain trees. It's sort of right at the end of the tail, tail end of the season for pruning your deciduous trees. If you want to do some additional structural pruning, you had mentioned something, uh, Rebecca, about a tree in your, your yard. Do you think you have a little bit more time left? to? Yeah, I have a deciduous tree. It's the um, uh, Canyon Hackberry tree. It's Celtis reticulata, if you want to know the scientific name. But it's just a, a lovely uh, tree with these pendant hanging branches that provides a seed for the um, birds. So, um, But it's got a lot of uh, branches on it. And 
because it is deciduous, I can see the structure more easily. And also because the tree is dormant, um, the new spring growth can be directed as, as we want it to happen. So taking off and, and uh, redirecting the growth, this is a great time. You can see where to cut and the tree is not going to react as negatively. Right. All of our deciduous trees, best time to prune those that, that lose their leaves every year is in December, January. And this isn't you know too late to be getting uh, pruning some of those. In fact, some of the deciduous trees, interestingly, uh, don't put on leaves uh, until later. You might find that some of your deciduous trees have already have already budded. All of the uh, the pear trees are already in bloom right now. They're one of the first ones. They're kind of the the, the, the big showcase tree, uh, kind kind of uh, heralding the coming of spring. You see those uh, in evergreen pears are blooming right now. But other ones, you know, the mulberries and some of the others are are late bloomers and late uh, uh, in in putting on that that new bud. So, you know, you'll have to, you know, you can still prune your deciduous trees a little bit later into the season. But this is prime time for uh, trimming citrus. We always tell our customers between February 15th and about April 1st, if you plan to do any significant pruning on citrus, that's sort of your window of opportunity. You can prune citrus year-round if you're just doing a small amount of grooming and shaping of the outside of the trees. But if you want to do any significant reduction, this is really your best time, February 15th to about April 1st. Uh, for your, you know, your lemons and your grapefruit that are kind of getting sprawling a little bit too too high, uh, for you to be able to pick the fruit. Now is your time to do that little reduction to kind of keep them in shape, and also any, any other frost um, uh, tender trees. This is your time uh, to to do that that pruning on your orchid trees and others that uh, you 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 have to be a little more careful on a lot of those trees to prune them heavily during the year. But this is the time, if you're going to do a little more significant reduction pruning on any of your trees, uh, this is the best time. Why, why is it the best time? Well, it's after the, the, last, the average last day of frost, which is February 15th. But before April 1st, it's before the hot weather comes. You want the tree to have a chance to respond a little bit to the pruning and putting on a little bit of new growth uh, before May and June when the hot weather comes. It will have had a chance to respond to the pruning that you're, you're going to do now. So it kind of gives you that window of about, you know, four to six weeks after the 15th of February to do a little bit more significant pruning. And then the tree will be off and running and be have enough foliage uh, that's put on in response to your pruning to get ready for the summer heat. So this is your time. And also, of course, to, to uh, cut back all of your frost damage. If you have frost damaged plants, we always tell you uh, if you have frost in December and January, that you can uh, uh, you can trim them back safely after about the fifteenth of February without the risk of there being a late frost. Now we can have frost as late as April, so I mean there's you know we we can't predict that there won't be a, a very late frost, but generally after the fifteenth of February we're kind of home free. If you're below about three thousand feet elevation, you're yeah <laughs> you're year over year average of not worrying about an right. April we're frost. We're speaking about low, low desert here in Phoenix, and and in Tucson it's a little cooler there. So we have you know you you can make adapt this advice to your own elevation and the uh, demands you have in your own climate. All right, we'll start uh, first on the line in Tucson right now. Uh, Susan wants to know about a Texas sage. Good morning and welcome to the broadcast. Hey, good morning. Hey, I, um, well, my husband planted, I think they're called either Texas Sage or Texas Rangers. They've got the light green trees and they bloom purple, mm-hmm. little purple flowers. Uh, anyway, he planted two of them 
in our front yard in August, and all he did was dig a hole and plunk them in, um, and then do some watering them. They bloomed twice, um, but they don't look so great. They haven't grown, and they're looking a little worse for wear. Well, I just heard you talking about the wood chips. So should he put down wood chips, or should he put in fertilizer, and does he need to dig a hole and add that in or just lay it on top? And, you know, can we save these guys? Yeah, hard to know what why they would do so well and then all of a sudden uh, uh, start declining. I, I would really be careful of your you know over irrigating. You know, in these winter months, that's a common problem that we see. That through the winter months, there hasn't been a a, a, a reduction in watering, and by by spring, about this time of year, we see a lot of trees uh, with some wilt or some yellowing leaves, and it's often just the soil has has not adequately drying out between waterings. And if that soil profile stays too wet, you basically can suffocate the trees and shrubs. And just be careful that you, um, if that's the case and you feel like you might have a kind of a waterlogged soil or soil that's just not drying out, uh, just shut the water off for a while. Let it just dry out for a week or two and see if you see the, the plants perk up. Because the, the root zone doesn't just need water. It also needs oxygen for cell metabolism to, to occur in the root material. The root, uh, root zone, you have to have oxygen. Uh, so... A, a fair amount of it. So be sure that you are letting the soil profile dry out between waterings and your plants will be really happy. As far as the, the mulch is concerned, yeah, it'll be a benefit to your trees no matter what. So yes, I would definitely put that down under your trees and shrubs. It'll be a, um, yeah, for all the benefits we mentioned earlier, it can't hurt. But I, I, I'm not suspect, I'm not, I don't find that the, the symptoms you're kind of describing are going to be solved by fertilizing alone. If the tree is actually, you know, showing some wilting or, or defoliation or discoloration, um, unless it's specific to a, a certain micronutrient that's deficient, um, it may not be solved just by putting fertilizer or mulch down. Yeah. Um, and don't worry too much about this plant until you don't see spring growth, because at the Cooperative Extension, I was looking at one yesterday that has done a lot of leaf drop. It's an evergreen plant, so you know at some point it has to lose those leaves. They they don't last forever, and uh, it, it's going to push out a lot of spring growth. This is a heat loving plant, and when it warms up, look for that growth. If you don't have the growth, then you should maybe start being concerned. Good, good, good advice. So, we've got a um, another caller on, or can I can I go on you know, and talk about pruning? Let Let's hit pruning real quick, just before so we don't run out of time. Okay, good. I wanted to mention that there's a difference between uh, pruning, proper pruning, and what many describe various ways. I mean, there's an article on our website called Trimming or Pruning. What's the difference and why does it matter? And there's such a plethora of descriptive terms that are given to people. You see them in in ads and Yellow Pages ads and, and other places that talk about sculpting or hedging or shearing or topping or cutting or rounding, uh, wind sailing, lacing. These are all descriptive terms that don't tell you really what they're planning to do. They can be descriptive in a sense. And, you know, lacing, you know, you can imagine what that probably means. It's, it's, a, it's a kind way of saying they're lion tailing their trees because they're stripping out a lot of interior foliage unnecessarily. But anyway, the, in, in an effort to try to uh, to clear up some of the confusion on tree terms, the ANSI standards have developed some guidelines for pruning to help uh, tree care providers write 
accurate specifications. And it's kind of like blueprints serve as a build for a building contractor. They help the the contractor and the homeowner uh, and also the technician who act, ends up doing the work get on the same page. And that's what the uh, what good printing specifications do. They help the arborist who's um, presenting uh, this um, this pruning uh, plan to the homeowner, the tree owner, and also for the the arborist who's climbing and doing the eventually doing the work to get on the same page. And the uh, the beauty is of the ANSI standards is that they give you a pruning objective or or maybe multiple objectives such as managing risk or providing clearance, reducing size, developing structure, and then they talk. The specification should also include the location in the tree where the, the pruning is going to take place, such as in the outer third of the crown or the north side of the tree only. And then we, then we also talk about the type of wood. Is it going to be live branches or dead branches? The type of cuts. Are they going to be reduction cuts or branch removal cuts? There's really only two types of cuts. And then, of course, the number of cuts. This is really um, new to the new, sta- the new ANSI standard. The, the 2012 standard was updated in 2017, and it includes uh, – it recommends indicating the actual number of cuts within a certain uh, diameter of, of a range of branch diameters. So, for instance, you might say 10 to 12 cuts in the range of 2 to 4 inches in diameter – in the, on the north side of the tree, primarily with live branches, not dead. And you could also have, a, have in that same spec, say, and there also be live, uh, dead branches, half-inch diameter and larger. So that with those descriptive terms, the homeowner can know precisely what is going to be removed from the tree. And it helps the, the actual technician, the arborist who's going to be climbing the tree, to know what he's supposed to be doing. Rather than uh, the old standards used to say, well, it's going to be crown cleaning and it's going to be a, a 25% of the foliage. And that didn't really help. I mean, it, it helped to narrow the focus a little bit, but it didn't give specific uh, 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 limits to what was going to be done. And also, finally, they give minimum, those minimum and maximum branch diameters help to protect the tree from over pruning and also from, from under pruning. If you want to have very small deadwood removed in the quarter inch diameter range, uh, that's going to take a lot more time mm-hmm. uh, in your citrus trees, for instance. But if it's specified, then you'll know that you, what you're planning to do rather than, okay, we're just going to take out the deadwood that you can see from the ground, you know, the larger deadwood. So those specifications are, are really critical. Um, when you're getting uh, contracting to have tree work done, uh, it gives you some confidence that you're going to be, um, there will be no um, unmet expectations and that you'll you'll have, in the end, you'll you'll um, be getting what what you were told would be done. The uh, now, when it comes to all that technical stuff, uh, those are those are listed on your proposal to that detail. Yes. How about as a homeowner? To me, there's two kinds of trees: shade canopy and art. The ones that get lit at night that look like art. Can I just say, John? I want that 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 and that tree to be shade canopies. I want this 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 tree to be art. And then can you just take it from there? Sure. Okay. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's – those would be objectives that you have. Yes. You want this to be a shade tree with the, the natural branches, you know, hanging down to the ground. So we, would, we wouldn't be doing any elevating, and we could actually describe that within these – within the ANSI standard uh, specifications. And clearly, that's, that's the whole point 
is you start with an, ob- an objective, uh, risk reduction, size reduction, developing structure, and those, those broader uh, objectives then can, can be narrowed down to specific branches in certain parts of the tree will be removed, certain numbers of branches within a diameter range. And it makes it very easy to write the specs and very easy to carry them out. And that way, the, the, the end result is just, it's amazing. I love the new ANSI standards there. His last proposal at my house included bolting my crotch. <laughs> he had a co-dominant stem with included bark and we you have to <laughs> William in Tucson couldn't hold he was on his way to work his question he called in with at 888-767-4348 4347 <laughs> 888-767-4348 there you go <laughs> um mistletoe desert mistletoe should he be worried about it and his uh mesquites cut it out leave it what's your thoughts well i'll leave it now now suppose that caller phoned into the uh, maricopa county agricultural extension office hotline by the way if you have those hotline questions during the week and you're wondering who can i ask about that uh that that tree or shrub or ground cover or flower question uh there is a hotline and uh rebecca um works closely with a lot of those hotline operators who answer your horticultural questions um i'm going to leave it to i'm going to ask um rebecca to answer the question about mistletoe and also leave the callers with that that call in number two if you would if you remember okay i don't remember it um but you can but look you up can, you can look up the uh, master garner hotline maricopa county cooperative extension and um you know ask for our hotline number and uh so for mistletoe yeah i've had many people ask about it over the years and there's two camps because the mistletoe actually provides um a nice fruit for birds the berry is very good for the birds and um, a lot of people like to leave it for that but um it is a you know, a parasite, so it is taking nutrients from the plant. Although being green, it's more of a water parasite. It will um, slowly degrade an area. If um, if you'd like to remove it, then um, just simply cutting it off and just staying on top of it and, and cutting it off. And you know, as you were saying before, John, uh, before it is setting the berries. Um, because the berries will be transferred to other branches of your tree, most likely, and they stick on the branch and they're able to actually move into the tissue. The sprouting seed can move into the, the bark and, and the tissue of the plant. So it's um, a good time now before the mistletoe blooms and puts on those, those berries because it's the berries that, that end up um, getting spread through the uh, surrounding trees by the birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Michael said you know, that the berries would get a little bit um, uh, fermented and the birds would get kind of drunk and they would end up spreading them to the n- neighboring trees as they stagger back to their nest, you know. My kind of birds, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly how it happens. The, the birds, the, the seeds are sticky and they, and they stick on the bird's uh, beak and the bird's um, feet and then the bird flies to another tree and those little seeds get stuck in a little crevice of bark and then they sprout and send little tendrils down into the vascular system of the new branch and start a new infestation. So it is a, um, a, a persist, you know, very pernicious problem in certain communities where uh, there's a lot of mistletoe and neighbors are, 
it's, it's a shame when you have mistletoe in your trees and you're trying to control them, and yet your neighbor has a lot of trees mm-hmm. where they're they're feeding the wildlife. So it's tough. There's a conflict of interest there. So um, yeah, you just have to if you do want to control it, just try to um, just remove it. It's real easy to remove. You can just break break them loose and uh, the little the little sprouts and and try to stay on top of it. All right, and you can whatever county you're in, if you just type that in Pinal county extension office you get 5203746263 uh, Maricopa County Extension Office 6028278201 just about every county has its own uh, oh, number great. for that extension office let's see if we can fit Jamie in real quick uh, and Tempe good morning welcome to the program how may we help you hi i have a mesquite tree um, in our front yard um, that doesn't seem to be that the trunk doesn't seem to be widening it it's pretty thin um it's been in the yard for about three years um we have one across the street that just seems to be going crazy uh that is a couple of years older than ours we still have to have um because it's so thin on the trunk we still have to have some poles holding it just in case you know and and it just seems like I'm doing something wrong. Well, first thing that comes to mind is it may be planted too deep. If you if the trunk is not getting larger in diameter, if you ever see the trunk of a tree disappear into the soil like a cliff into water, uh, you know that it goes down deep before it gets to the root collar. And quite often the, those plants, those trees that are planted too deep in the beginning never have sufficient oxygen for that original root system to get active in the soil and they'll, those trees will just languish. They'll sit there for years and not do very much. Um, you, what I, we normally do in a case like that is we, we, we dig down till we find the root collar. Then we excavate out to a radius of maybe a, a foot or two feet, sometimes three feet, and taper the soil up to the surrounding grade uh, so we make a bit of a basin. And that way, immediately, we get oxygen to the root system of the trees for the first time sometimes. And we'll see trees just immediately put on new growth. So that would be my recommendation, wow. would be to look for that uh, tree that being planted a little too deep in the soil. We appreciate the call. And, John, if somebody needs an arborist, a consultant, some tree trimming, pruning, uh, or just some advice on a tree that yeah, they give have. Us, I'll give you our phone number. Just call 602-788-0005. That's the best way. And thank you, Rebecca, for coming in. Appreciate okay. you. You bet. Glad to be here.